Well, that was a great time of worship together. Hey, thank you so much for being here today as we worship God and just celebrate the birth of our Savior. And we're going to spend a little bit of time now digging into his word and talking about an element of Christmas that uh, maybe we don't always think about. We're going to talk about hope today and hope for the world. That's the title of my message. I read an interesting quote about hope this week. The author is unknown, but it goes like this. Hope is not pretending that troubles don't exist. It is the hope that they won't last forever. That hurts will be healed and difficulties overcome. That we will be led out of the darkness and into the sunshine. I wonder if you can relate to that at all with some of the challenges and difficulties that you may be going through in your life right now. I just need to be led out of the darkness and into the sunshine. I need to know that my troubles won't last forever. That there's an end to this. That there will be healing. That my difficulties will be overcome. I know that child right now there is hoping my difficulties will be overcome. Whatever that need is, let's take care of it, mom and dad. I get it. Hey, I've got kids. I get it. Hope is not pretending that troubles don't exist. Hope is in hoping, wishing, knowing that those troubles won't last forever. Don't you long for your troubles to disappear? I mean, if we could flip a switch and tomorrow on Christmas Day, whatever the issue is that you're facing right now could just go away. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be awesome, but it doesn't always work that way, does it? You know, we all long for hope and the world needs hope. We want the hope of a better life. That's why there's all these movements today to try to to make a better life either for a certain group of people or a better life for the world in some way. And and there's a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, walks of life, faiths, uh, all, all of that stuff who want to see a better life for themselves, for others, and they, they realize that we need the hope of something better. Well, it's not going to surprise you at all to find out that I believe that true, lasting, meaningful hope, the most important thing, comes through Jesus Christ as revealed in the Word of God, and that is what we're going to be talking about today. I'm sure that there are people here who need hope for different reasons, though. I'm sure there are people here who need hope for a marriage that's in crisis, or hope because of some financial difficulties that they've gotten into, or some relationships that are broken, or an illness that they were just diagnosed with. Maybe they need hope because they lost a loved one recently, or they lost a loved one around this time of year, and every time Christmas comes up, then it's sort of this struggle, this bittersweetness of the memories of Christmas with that loved one, and that's a difficult thing. And sometimes it can feel tough to just get through the holidays, and we need hope in our lives. The world needs hope. But there are two kinds of hope, and I want to make sure I'm clear about what kind of hope I am talking about today. The first kind of hope is hope as a wish. Hope as a wish says, I sure hope things will get better. That's hope as a wish. But then there's hope as an expectation. And hope as an expectation says, I know things are going to get better. And that gives me hope. Maybe they're not better right now, but I know they're going to get better. And that's what gives me hope. That's hope as an expectation, as opposed to hope as a wish. I think we all know in our lives that the troubles we face, they aren't just going to magically solve themselves tomorrow. But if we can know that those hopes will be resolved at some point in the future, that can give us hope. Not just wishful hope, but hope as an expectation of something that will be better. Now, you may wonder, what does all this exactly have to do with Christmas again? So let me bring it back around for you, okay? With some of the words from one of my favorite Christmas carols. It goes like this. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. 
Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of what? A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The world is weary, but there is hope. The world is stuck in cycles of sin and error pining as the song says, but there is a new and glorious morn. And where is that new and glorious morn? Where is that new and glorious morn? Yonder, right? Very clear, specific location. Does anybody know what yonder means? What does yonder mean? It's just over there, right? It's just, it's like we can see it, but it's a little ways off. You know, it's not too far away. That's where yonder is. And that's where hope is, according to the song. Or you could say hope is on the horizon. So Christmas, actually, the message of Christmas, the message of the birth of Jesus Christ is that hope is not too far off. When we celebrate the birth of Jesus, it's not just about the presence. It's not just about the baby in the manger. It's about what this baby came to bring. That is hope that's not too far off. That's the real message of Christmas. That's what can give us a hopeful expectation. But before I talk about hopeful expectation and how that can apply to every single one of your lives today, because I believe it does, I first want to acknowledge a bit of an inconvenient truth about hope and even hopeful expectation. Even if we know that our problems are going to be resolved, even if we know that our troubles will be taken care of eventually one day, there is still some mystery involved in the when and the how. Even if I know that something good is coming, I may not always know when it's going to happen or how it's going to come true. Think about kids this whole week leading up to Christmas, knowing that there are presents coming, but having no idea what those presents are. There is a hopeful expectation they have in knowing that good stuff is coming their way on December 25th but having no idea what exactly those things will be. In fact, any of the problems that those kids had were probably relatively short-lived because after that problem, within five minutes, they thought, but I'm getting presents next week. And that hopeful expectation can get you through a lot. The hope of something good that is coming, even if there's some mystery involved and I don't know exactly what is coming. Let me do one that's a little more relevant to the adults. Adults, have you ever gotten a card in the mail for your birthday, for your anniversary? And it was clear that it was one of those types of cards and you felt it and it was a little thick. You know what I'm talking about? And then you you just feel for the outline and it's the outline of like something, the shape of a credit card in there. And you're like, oh boy, there's a gift card in there. Hopeful expectation. There's something good inside here, but there's still some mystery. You don't know what it's for. Is it for a restaurant that you like? Is it for a store that you like? What is it for Amazon? So you can get whatever you want. Like hopeful expectation, there's something good, but there's some mystery there. I don't know what is coming. And I'll bet that if your brain was hooked up to a scanner when you got that envelope, as soon as you felt the thickness of it, I'll bet we could see something light up in there. Like, ooh, what could that be? And that hopeful expectation can create this anticipation that can even help you get through some difficult times because you know something good is coming, even if you don't know the details. So there's mystery, and that mystery can actually be a a helpful thing sometimes. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how this good thing is going to happen. I don't know what good thing is waiting for me, but if I know there's something good coming, I have hope. And I can get through a lot of stuff. In fact, we actually need to lean into and embrace that. 
I want you to remember this from today to fully appreciate a hopeful expectation. We have to embrace the mystery. If you really want to appreciate hopeful expectation, that even that hope of knowing something good is coming, knowing my troubles will be resolved, knowing my sickness will go away, knowing my issues will be taken care of, at some point, you have to embrace the mystery and even lean into it of, but I don't really know how. I'm not sure how or even when, but I do believe that they will. That is hopeful expectation. This is especially true when it comes to spiritual hope. Spiritual hope. There's always some mystery involved when God promises something to us. The hope that God provides. He doesn't give us all the answers, all the details right away. And we can either be frustrated by that or we can embrace it. We can be challenged and annoyed by the mystery or we can lean into and embrace the mystery that actually maybe there's some goodness in that anticipation. There's some goodness in not knowing in that hopeful expectation where there's mystery involved. It's the difference between these two statements. I wish God would just tell me how to get out of this problem or I wish God would just resolve this for me today, right now or instead saying, boy, I wonder how God's going to solve this one. Like, boy, this is a tough one. This is a pickle. And I don't know a way out of this, but I trust God to handle it and deal with it. I can't wait to see what God does to resolve this situation in my life, what that looks like, to bring about something good in my life because of this difficulty that I'm facing right now. That is a place of trust. That is a place of trust to just get diagnosed with something or hear some bad news or have a broken relationship or a fight with someone or some financial difficulty in your life. And, and certainly the temptation for all of us is to go, woe is me. But then to think, wow, how is God going to turn this around for good? Man, that's a place of hopeful expectation and what God has for us. One of these statements is fairly self-centered and one of these statements is trust-filled. In God as our father, as one who cares for us. One of, one of these is more of a wishful hoping of it. I just wish my problem were gone today. And one is more of a hopeful expectation of, I know God's going to deal with this, but I don't know how, and I can't wait to find out. One of the places that we find hopeful expectation in scripture is in Matthew chapter 12. And Matthew here is quoting a prophet from the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, who spoke a lot about the coming Messiah. And here's one of those prophecies as Matthew quotes it in Matthew chapter 12. He says, look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. In other words, he'll be gentle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. What I want you to notice in this passage is not only the hopeful expectation, but the mystery that is here. There is a mystery here along with this hope of the Messiah coming and bringing justice to the world. The, the mystery that the Messiah will come not as a king, not as a conquering warrior, but as a servant. In some, some way he will be lowly and humble and serve others instead of expecting to be served as the, the great grand Messiah coming in. You expect him to come in with great fanfare and, and applaud from everyone and people will look up to him and, and yet it says he'll come in as a servant. That's a mystery. It says that he will 
cause justice to be victorious finally, but not with physical force, not by fighting. That's a mystery. And that his name will be the hope of the whole world, but he won't bring change through shouting, through protest, through loud public displays. And loud protest, that's not what he's going to do. So it's like a mystery. It's like a riddle. In fact, if we were to reword this as a riddle, you could put it this way. He has the position of a king, but chooses to be a servant. He brings justice to the world, but doesn't fight. He brings hope to the world, but doesn't shout. Who is he? So who is he? You know the answer, right? It's Jesus Christ. Now that's an easy one. But I think God enjoys a good mystery, enjoys a good riddle, So I had to look up a couple more to share with you just to make sure everybody's awake at this point in the service, right? David's father has three sons, Snap, Crackle, and David's son. David's father has three sons, Snap, Crackle, and David. Yes, I already gave you one of the sons. That's an easy one. Many of you know this already, I'll bet. It's a famous one. A cow, but my kids loved it this week. A cowboy rode into town on Friday. He stayed for three nights and rode out on Friday. How is this possible? Yeah, I hear all the kids know that one. Wow, you guys are good. How did you know that? That's amazing. I think God loves a good mystery. I think God loves a good riddle. And really, when you think about it, a lot of prophecy in the Old Testament, it's a riddle from God. It's not even meant to be solved right away. It's God saying, Here is some hopeful expectation for you. Just wait till you see how I fulfill this. It's going to be amazing. And the hopeful expectation for the Messiah was a bit of a riddle. It was a mystery. In fact, that's actually what the Apostle Paul called it. You look at Ephesians chapter 3, and he says, As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. It was a mysterious plan. He said, As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. And Christ is the Greek word for the Messiah. He says, God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. He says the same thing Paul does in Colossians, that there's this mystery regarding Christ that was hidden before like a riddle and is now revealed through the apostles and the prophets in the New Testament. It was kept secret for centuries. And so God's people during that time were supposed to have hopeful expectations. A faith, a trust, that help is on the way, that a Messiah is coming, that the resolution for all of the nasty stuff we see in this world and our lives, and I know there's a lot of it, and there's probably a lot of you right now dealing with some serious stuff, and you need hopeful expectation, and they needed hopeful expectation. They didn't know how it was going to be resolved. They didn't know what the Messiah was going to look like. They didn't know many of the details, but they did know if they paid attention to Isaiah that he's going to be a servant, and he's not going to fight, he's not going to shout. But somehow he's going to cause justice to be victorious all over the world. And his name is going to be the hope of the world. How can that be? How is this possible? Let me show you three ways Jesus fulfilled this prophecy and solved the riddle, solved the mystery. First, we're going to go to Luke chapter 2. In Luke 2, this is perfect for where we're at tonight and tomorrow. We read that that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. I would be too. But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, 
the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, what we sang earlier, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, it might seem like such a strange thing for this message to first come to shepherds in the fields. I mean, these are lowly people. These are not the rulers of the land who are out there watching the sheep. And yet that's exactly where the message goes. And then for the Savior to be born in Bethlehem, the little bedroom community outside of Jerusalem and not the big city itself. Like, why would that be the case? And then a baby? Really? The Messiah's a baby? We're going to have to wait a long time for his salvation, for his rescue to come to us if he's a baby. I mean, Adam was created by God as a full-grown man. Why can't you do that with the Messiah? I don't understand. And then of all places, a manger, really a feeding trough for animals. That's where the Messiah comes into the world. It's quite a mystery, but it actually solves the mystery because he didn't come in as some ruling king, some majestic leader, some warrior. He came in in the lowliest way possible, a baby in Bethlehem, and it wasn't even their house in a feeding trough for animals. How much more lowly can you get for someone to come into this world? He comes in as a servant. He comes in as a lowly and humble servant, not as a great king. What about the fighting? The fighting aspect of Jesus. There was this mystery that he would be a servant, the mystery that he wouldn't fight the, and that he wouldn't shout. And what does all that mean? How can he accomplish all the things he's supposed to do without doing those things? And I'll be honest with you, I would have loved it because I'm a big fan of action movies. You know, I like the hand-to-hand combat stuff. I love all of that. Can you imagine if Jesus had some fight scenes? Like how fun would that be? It's like, John Wick has the force from Star Wars, you know, just the most incredible combination put together. Can you imagine if Jesus is there and the Pharisees come up to him and he's just like, you're done. And he just beats them all up like, you know, or, or he's in the garden of Gethsemane and the guards, the temple guards come out to capture him there. And Peter draws his sword and Jesus says, we don't need any swords. And he just goes out and goes after him. Like, how fun would that be, okay? I know I'm bordering sacrilegious, maybe, but he could do it, okay? He could absolutely do it. In fact, it almost happens. It almost feels like he's this close to being like, yeah, we're done with this here. Read in Matthew chapter 26. Judas has just come to betray Jesus, and Jesus says, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him, but one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword, we know from another book that that's Peter, and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear, and Jesus told him, put away your sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. Don't you realize, check this out, Jesus knew what he could do. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. That's something I would like to see too. Thousands of angels come down and just protect and defend Jesus, you know, Avengers style in the circle and the camera pans around him. Wouldn't that be amazing? But, but look at verse 53. But if I did, If I defended myself, if I called down angels, if I stopped this process from happening, 
this abuse of me, this murder of me, if I stop this from happening, how would the scriptures be fulfilled? How would the mystery be revealed? How would the riddle be solved to describe what must happen now? See, not fighting was part of that hopeful expectation and part of that mystery. And looking back now, we can see how Jesus refusing to defend himself actually resolves that mystery for us. It fulfills that prophecy for us. We do have one more though. The third one, he, wasn't, he wouldn't shout. Jesus, if he wanted to, could have put up quite a protest against the Roman government. In fact, that's what they were afraid of, right? The Jewish leaders were afraid that he was gonna stir the Jewish people up against Rome and that was gonna come back on them. And the Roman leaders certainly were concerned that, that maybe there were gonna be uprisings and zealots that would recruit thousands of people, tens of thousands of people to cause problems for Rome. And so there was a concern. Jesus certainly with his thousands of followers at different times could have said, all right, and now we're all gonna pick up our signs and we're gonna go march through Jerusalem and we're gonna raise a shout of, of protest, but that's not what he does. He comes through and he says, hey, all of you who are weary, I wanna give you rest. I don't wanna make your life more difficult. I want you to rest in me. When it comes to the little children, he doesn't say, I don't have time for them. I've got a protest to lead. He says, no, I, I, let the children come to me for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When it comes to the woman who made some horrible life choices, what does he say? I don't condemn you. He brings this compassion, this gentleness to us. Not a shouting at people, not angry, not protesting, but gentleness. Now that's not to say he didn't have firm words for the people who thought they were religious but acted like hypocrites, who liked to present themselves as spiritual leaders, but in reality were just hypocritical people. No, he had harsh words for them, but his main role was not to yell, it wasn't to shout, it wasn't to go and protest. And so all of these hopeful expectations about the Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that brings us today to you and how you respond to this news about Jesus. Not just a believing in him, although that's certainly important, we'll talk about that, but how does it affect you today? How does it affect the challenge you're going through? How does it affect the struggle that you've been thinking about all week or all month or maybe for the last several years? And how can you have a hopeful expectation in that? Here's what I want you to leave with today. The good news about Jesus is the gateway to hopeful expectation. The good news about Jesus is the gateway to hopeful expectation. And I'm not just talking about heaven, although I am, but I'm talking about way more than that. The good news is that Jesus came to this world as a baby, a lowly servant, but he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He was tempted in every way as you and I are, and yet he never sinned. He lived a perfect life. So he was the, the spotless lamb, the Bible calls it, who could be offered as the sacrifice for sins. All of us do bad things. All of us are tempted. I am tempted and I sin. I'll bet you have been tempted. I'll bet you have sinned, but Jesus never did. And so to pay for all of that sin that keeps us from God, Jesus became the sacrifice for us, God dying on our behalf so that our sins could be put on him and he could take the payment for them and we could get his righteousness applied to us so that when God looks at us after we believed in Jesus and trusted in him and he's forgiven our sins, God looks at us and says, I see you through the lens of my son, through the lens of Jesus Christ, as if you are holy and perfect, even though you never were. That's what Jesus does for us. That's the good news that Jesus does for us. And then when, he, when we believe in him, because he died on the cross for us, 
And he rose again for our sins. He had hundreds of witnesses to verify that. When we believe in that message, we then know that we are part of God's family. We have eternity with him in the future. This life is very short and temporary, but there's an eternity to come with our heavenly father. We know that that one day all the tears will be wiped away and our lives will be perfect with God and perfect union with God and join him forever. There's a tremendous hope that comes from the good news about Jesus, but it's more than just the hope of heaven. There is hope for all sorts of things going on in our lives today that come from the good news or what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few examples. There's hopeful expectation for the struggling marriage, for the people who feel like we've been fighting forever and we don't know when this is going to end. I'll share, I'll share a hopeful expectation with you for the struggling marriage that you probably would never expect to hear from a preacher on the stage. Jesus says that in heaven, there will not be marriage or giving in marriage. There is hopeful expectation for the challenging marriage that it's only in this life and not in the life to come. There is hopeful expectation there. And if you're in a marriage that isn't great and you wish you were loved more and you wish some things were different and better, one of the things you have to realize is at the very least, there is hopeful expectation that that does not carry through into eternity. You know, there are some faiths that believe that when you're wedded together, you're stuck together for eternity. There's hope for you. That is not what Jesus said. There's some good news there. Now, there's some other hopeful expectation there, too, for the struggling marriage. It's not just, well, when I die, I get out of this. <laughs> there's hopeful expectation because God can transform hearts and turn people around. And so I, I've seen spouses that have prayed for sometimes years for their spouse and eventually have seen God get a hold of their heart and their life and they are receptive and they respond and surrender to Jesus and it becomes this incredible story of transformation and a testimony of God at work in their marriage. There's hope for that marriage. There is hope because God uses and allows trials in our lives to help us to grow and so, yeah, maybe it's not everything you hoped and dreamed it would be but, but could this be something that God is using in your life to help you grow and mature and become the saint that he wants you to be? There is hope in that, even though there's difficulty, even though there's challenge. You know, there's even hope for those who are in the kind of marriage relationship where there is abuse and, and there's adultery and there's abandonment because Jesus and Paul talk about the fact that because we're in a broken world right now, there's some times where you need to actually get out of that marriage and that's okay because Jesus and Paul bring a message of hopefulness all thanks to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that this world is broken. We know that this world is messed up. And we know that sometimes that marriage needs to be exited because of inappropriateness that's in that marriage. And Jesus gave permission for that. And Jesus even covers all of the sins that happen in that marriage. If you believe and trust in him, all of that gets wiped away. There is hope for a struggling marriage in a lot of different ways thanks to the good news about Jesus. There's hope for those who are caught in financial crisis. You know, the Bible says, Jesus said, that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so maybe the financial struggle that you're facing right now is an opportunity for God to break the stronghold of that idolization of money in your life because you've been fixated on it too much. 
And now is an opportunity for you to learn to live with less, to learn to trust in God, to trust him for what's next in your life, for what you need to supply your needs. There's hopeful expectation because Jesus said, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look how much God cares for them. He cares so much more for you. He promises to provide what you need. And so there is hope. There's hopeful expectation, even in the midst of a financial crisis. There's hopeful expectation for broken relationships. Part of the good news about Jesus is that he's forgiven us for our sins. And so Paul goes on to say that since Jesus has forgiven us our sins, how much more should we forgive other people who sin against us? And Jesus talked about that too, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts who who we're indebted to. And so there's hopeful expectation there because whatever happened in that relationship can be forgiven. It can be restored. There's no reason to lose hope. There's hopeful expectation for so many things in our lives. There's hopeful expectation for injury and illness. You just found out that you've got some kind of sickness. Maybe this is something that God is going to step in and heal in your life and use that as a great testimony to what a great, powerful God he is. Or maybe, just maybe, this is a sickness or an injury that's gonna stick with you for the rest of your life. And I'd love for it to be gone tomorrow, I would. And maybe it will be. Or maybe God will allow you to wrestle with that and deal with that just like Paul did, his thorn in the flesh, that over the the decades of living with that, you grow closer and closer to him and your faith and trust in him and you become a testimony to other people who ask, how do you have such a joyful attitude when you have to live life like this, when you have this constant pain, when you have this struggle in your life and you just point people to, to God? It's because you're growing closer to him because of the good news of the gospel at work in your life, even in the midst of all the pain and the struggling. And there's that hopeful expectation that even if God doesn't take this away, he's gonna use it for good. And even if God doesn't take this away, I know that one day I will be healed. Did you know that? One day, whatever you have, God promises to heal it if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. When you get to heaven, there's not gonna be any injury, any sickness, anything like that. In fact, you'll get a brand new body. Whatever is wrong with you right now, It's gonna be resolved one day. Maybe it won't happen in this life, but we know there is hopeful expectation for what God is going to do in the future, and that can get us through a lot. There's hopeful expectation for those caught up in addiction. There's hopeful expectation for those who are experiencing great loneliness, especially this time of year. There is so much hope, and in fact, I want you to just pause for a minute right now and think about what's going on in my life that I need to look at through the lens of hopeful expectation that I need to look at through the perspective of how does the good news about the gospel of Jesus and Jesus teaching apply to what I'm dealing with right now. And is my response to that to say, God, I wish you'd just take this away already. Or is my response to that to say, God, I know you're going to do something good through this. I don't know when I don't know how, but I want to believe in you. I want to trust in you in the middle of whatever I'm going through so that I can have hope. You know, Paul said in Romans chapter eight, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. How many things does God cause to work together for good? Everything, all things. God causes to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. Do you love God? Are you, are you a child of God? Have you trusted in Jesus? Are you pursuing him with your life? Whatever the struggle is, the difficulty is that you're facing, he's promised to work all those things out for good. Every single thing is gonna be worked out for good in some way. You know what's missing from this verse? You know what I don't see here is a date. I want a date. 
I want to know that by March 1st, my problem's going to be dealt with, but it's not here. I would love to see the bullet list. Here's how I'm going to work it out for good. Well, I'm going to do this in your life, and then I'm going to fix this in your friend's life, and I'm going to cause this good thing to happen over here to your kids, and it's all going to be because you trusted in me and, and loved me and were called by me, and so I worked all that out for good, and here's how I'm going to do it. We don't get that. We don't get the list. We don't get the date. Why? Because there's mystery. There's hopeful expectation. There's promise from God, but there's also mystery. And if we lean in and we embrace that mystery with faith and with trust, we're gonna see ourselves grow so much through that. We're gonna see that hope show up in our lives and display to other people to the point where they're gonna be asking us, what's the cause of your hope? What's the source of your hope? And then you get the opportunity to share the reason for the hope that you have. Not just the hope of heaven, but all the other stuff that we've talked about today. I want to leave you with three questions. Three questions to think about as we go into Christmas Eve tonight. Spend a day together tomorrow in our families and gatherings and all the different things. Three questions for you. The first one is, have you committed your life to Jesus so that you can have hopeful expectation for the future? None of this really applies to you unless you have, because you don't have that hope of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have that hope of your sins being forgiven. You don't have that hope of an eternity with God in heaven, unless you have at some point committed your life to him and said, and this is, this is what it is. If you've never done this, this is what it is. Jesus, I know that I'm a sinful person. I do bad stuff. I think bad stuff. I say bad stuff at times. I know that you can have no association with that, but I believe in you. I believe in what Jesus did on the cross for me, and I want you to make me a new person. I want to be part of your family. I ask for your forgiveness. I confess my sins to you, Lord. Come into my heart and just make me a new person. And the amazing thing is, for every single person that does that, God says, yes. He doesn't say, well, you know, it's too late for you. If you're still breathing, if you've still got a pulse, then you've still got a chance to say, I want Jesus in my life. And I want to have that hopeful expectation for the future. That's question number one. Have you ever done that? If not, do that today. I heard of someone this morning that did it while they were watching online. Do that today. Believe in Jesus Christ and have a new life and that hope for the future. Number two, is there a situation in your life right now where you have not been seeing it through the perspective of hope through Jesus? I gave you a lot of examples, but you can think of more. You can apply this to your life. You can take this today and think, what is the issue I'm facing right now? And how can I see it through that same lens of hopeful expectation? How does the good news about Jesus apply to this situation in my life? And number three, is there more that God wants you to do to bring that hope to others? You're gonna see a, a variety of different people over the next couple of weeks, most likely. And some of those people need to know about the hope that you have. They need to see the hope that is in your life. Maybe it's your neighbors, maybe it's friends, maybe it's coworkers, maybe it's family members but they need to know that you have a hope and know that that's different and have the opportunity to find out why you have that hope. So share that with others. I'm gonna ask you all, if you would, to just bow your heads with us as we get ready for the last part of our service. Jesus, thank you so much for coming to this earth as a little baby, as a lowly servant, for turning the world upside down, not through fighting, not through shouting, but by dying. You said you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. And here we are, hundreds of people here who are in this building, who are watched online right now. For those of us who have trusted in you, we are so thankful that we are part of those ransomed people, God. That doesn't always mean we live with the hope that we should. 
So I pray that you would help us to understand our lives and our difficulties and our struggles in light of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, Lord. Help us to understand what you are doing in our lives, the good that you can do through them in us, through other people. God, help us to see that we have this hopeful expectation of eternity and a future with you, and that should get us through a lot, a lot of difficulty, a lot of illness, a lot of struggling marriages, a lot of financial instability, a lot of loneliness, a lot of broken relationships, a lot of difficulties at school, a lot of trouble with friends, whatever it is, God. Help us to see all of that through a perspective of what you are doing through the gospel taking root in our lives. God, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that you would reveal just how real you are to them right now. I know that this message is foolishness to many people. I know that many people just listen and scoff and mock it and think there's nothing to it. But for those who are willing to hear it and believe it, it's the power of salvation. So God, be at work right now in people's hearts and people's minds to draw them to yourself, to reveal who you are. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.